We're going to get back into First uh, Peter. Uh, we're in First Peter chapter four this morning. How many of you have ever heard of the Doomsday Clock? Anybody? Yeah, Doomsday Clock was established in 1947. It's been upkept by a bunch of, uh, of scientists, and they basically look at the world and everything that's happening in the world, and they try to determine how close we are to the end of time. How close are we to the apocalypse? And so they've been looking at all of this, and the clock hasn't changed much in the last couple of years. A couple of years ago, there was a big to-do about it because it was changed to two minutes to midnight. Um, And the closer you get to uh, midnight, the closer we are to the end of the world. Well, um, if you're really into that, on January the 23rd at 10 a.m., you can go to their website, and live they will update of whether or not we're any closer to midnight or not. And we think about all of the things um, that are happening in the world. Um, You know, there there are certain things that we want to end. Like we had winter in Virginia on Tuesday, right? Um, And now it's over, probably, until February. And then we'll have two or three days of it in February. And then it'll probably be over again. But there are certain things that we just... And and I saw that all blowing up my Facebook. Everybody was like, oh, winter is here. Oh, it's horrible. I can't wait until it's 70. They only had to wait three days. Um... But we, we, we're, we're always looking for certain things to end. And we're always looking for different things in the world that are happening to truly understand uh, what's going on. And we look at all of the different events just of this last week. Think, think of the events that have happened in, in just this last week. We had everything going on with Iran. And then on Friday... On Friday, we had the Russian uh, ship that came within 60 yards of one of the American ships. And they're just trying to provoke us to do something. And, and, and then we go to the natural disaster. And I know I'm kind of skipping probably over some other things that you may have seen this week. But um, th- just natural disasters. Uh, Puerto Rico uh, yesterday, had, I believe it was yesterday, had um, an earthquake. And now in the Philippines, they're talking about an imminent um, volcano eruption that's going to be massive in in the philippines and we go we look at all of these things and we go oh my goodness um we must be right at midnight because the end of the world is at hand everything is coming And, and we just look at all of this and we go what is going on well last week in in first peter chapter four verses one through six uh we saw that christ followers don't do what we used to do and we talked about how we're called to arm ourselves against sin and to abstain from sin and why should we do those things it brings us to verse 11 which is what we've been talking about thus far verse 7 i'm sorry verse 7 tells us this the end of all things is at hand the end of all things is at hand The word end refers to completion or a conclusion. The goal has been achieved. And and, and it's good for us to always be reminded of this, that God is in control. We love to think that we're in control, right? We're we're in control of our lives. We're in control of our situation. I'm in control of my household. Men, don't ever believe that. Not for one minute. And in my household, um, it, it's, it's a 20-month-old granddaughter. She runs the household right now. She, she looks at us and she says, and, and you come immediately. And then she gets down on the floor and she pats the floor next to her. 
no, no, Lizzie, I'm not coming down there. And she pats it even harder, like, you come here now. And what do we do? We get up and I, I, I get up and I get down there with her. And then I'm like, and then I get up and I get back in my chair and she's like, I'm like, nah, my back hurts, sweetie, you know. But again, I'm right back down there because she rules the household. And, and, and we think that we're in control of our job and we're in control of our commute. <laughs> Got you on that one, 95. Um, we, we think that we should be in control, but then what this verse is really trying to tell us is God is in control. What this verse is telling us also is that God is never caught off guard. You can never do anything that surprises God. You don't do something and, and all of a sudden God goes, wow, didn't think Larry was going to do that. I didn't see that one coming, Ryan. You know, nothing catches God off guard at all. We cannot surprise him. The end of all things is at hand. And that phrase, at hand, means to approach or draw near. It's telling us that Jesus could come back at any moment. How many of you believe that right now, at this very moment, Jesus could just show up? Yeah, amen. God could just show up. He could say, all right, it's done. It's over, Jesus. It's time to head back. Gabriel, blow that trumpet. Boom, there it is. And we need to make sure that we are prepared. And being that we just kind of wrapped up our Christmas series and, and we were talking about Jesus coming and coming in the prophecies that, that brought about Jesus... Do you realize that for every prophecy that talked about the coming of the Messiah, there are eight that talk about Jesus coming back in the second coming? That should tell us that we better be prepared. As, as much as they needed to be prepared for the coming of Jesus, we need to be that much more prepared for him coming back. You see, when Peter writes that the end of all, th all things is at hand, we must be encouraged. You know, go back to those first century Christians. Remember who Peter was writing to. These Christians were being persecuted. They were being beaten. They were being flogged. They were being set on fire. They were being killed for saying that they were Christians. They were being pummeled. And I think this was encouraging news for them. That Jesus was about to come back. And they believed it. When Peter wrote it, when Paul wrote what he wrote, when John wrote what he wrote, they believed and wanted us to believe back then and today that Jesus could come back at any moment. And we need to make sure that we are prepared for those moments. They were being pummeled and beaten down they were being persecuted they were ready for his return you know here in america you know we kind of for the most part we have it easy right yeah we face a little bit of persecution yeah some rights may have been taken from us or whatever but we still get to show up right here today don't we we have the freedom to come to this building and to praise god and to worship him and to listen to this message. There are people around the world right now that if they have a small piece of the Bible, Scripture, if they are caught partaking with other people about Christianity, that they could be put to death. And for them, they are, they're prepared. And, and it was really, really good news. For us, we get worried and nervous. Am I ready? Is my house looking good for when Jesus comes back? Like we get worried about those kind of things. 
But what we need to do is make sure that our house inside is ready. That's the important part for us to be able to understand. Peter continues, he says, Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Therefore is a term of conclusion. It causes us to pause and to ponder what comes next. The study of end of times should not satisfy our curiosity, but also sanctify us for when he returns. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame of his coming. We need to prepare ourselves and be ready for that return. You see, the return of Christ is always presented in Scripture as a great motivation, not as a reason to cease from action. In in the parable Jesus tells about his return, in Luke chapter 19, verse 13, we read, Engage in business until I come. Don't just sit back and go, Well, I know I'm saved, so I know where I'm going when this life is over, so I'm good. I've got my fire insurance. What about everyone else? What about those that you come in contact with, that you work with, your family members, your co-workers, those students that sit next to you in school? Do they know about Jesus? It's about making sure that it's not just about us, but that we're excited to share the good news with everyone that we come in contact with. So, If we're going to keep doing our business, I believe that there's three things that we need to make sure that we're taking delight in. The first one is to pray seriously. Pray seriously. Look at verse 7. It says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. To be sober-minded and to exercise self-control is so that our passions don't carry us away. It's really the opposite of living for our lust that we spelled out last week in verses 3 through 5. Instead of getting all whacked out about what's going on in the world, what we're called to do is pray. There's a lot of things that really get us concerned and worried, right? Because when we think of the end of times, we think of one particular, we go to, the, we go to the, 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 the book of Revelation and we read in Revelation that there's this one character that we should be on the lookout for, Right? Yeah, the Antichrist. And, and, and right now, who's the Antichrist? He's sitting about 40 miles north, right? Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. For the last three years, there's been people that have thought that it's that guy. But you know what? For the eight years previous, someone thought it was him. And for the four years previous, someone thought it was him. And they thought it was the guy that was sitting in that White House long before him. And, and we... And, the Antichrist is Bin Laden. Anybody know where Bin Laden is right now? Yeah, he, he, swimming with the fishes, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's dead, right? He's not the Antichrist. People thought for sure that it had to be Saddam Hussein because Saddam Hussein was in Iraq and that was where the great Babylon was and and Saddam was going to rebuild Babylon and, and he was the Antichrist and, and everybody was so concerned know where Saddam is he's dead he's not the Antichrist and we get so concerned and we get so whacked out of everything that we see and we read and and what's going on and I'm not telling you that you shouldn't worry about some of that stuff 
But as Christians, we've been called to pray. And we've been called to pray seriously and to be prepared. The word that is used here for prayer is actually in the plural, meaning that we should offer up all sorts of prayers. Praying privately in your own house, getting down on your knees by yourself. Praying publicly. Now that word for publicly, it means that you're sharing with your family and you're having a prayer time with your spouse. You're having it with your children. That You're having that prayer time with your different friends. That you're having prayer time in your church. And with everything that we've, we've talked about thus far, I think we just need to stop right now. We just have a moment of prayer. Close your eyes. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your amazing Son. We thank you for all of the ways that you speak to us. The ways that we receive your word. Father, we thank you for the freedom of this country that we can gather in this building and we can share with one another. That we can read your scripture aloud and not have fear of what may happen to us. But Father, we uplift our brothers and sisters who are around the world right now, who are gathering throughout this day, knowing that their lives may be taken from them because they gather for you. But Father, with all of the events of the world that are happening, the natural disasters that are happening, and the way in which we jump to conclusions about what could or couldn't be happening, Father, we just uplift you, and we just ask that you speak to us, that you calm us of those fears, because we know that no matter what happens, that you are in control. And that, Father, we will be your missionaries that as we go outside of these doors, that we will uplift your kingdom, that we will share the word with everyone that we come in contact with, that we will invite them to our life groups, that we will invite them to our, our Bible studies that we attend, that we will invite them to come and join us next Sunday right here. Father, we ask that you be with each person that is here, that you speak through us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. The second thing that we need to do is to love deeply. To love deeply. Now, as we read this, it means that we need to unleash a love like never before. And most of the time, as I'm giving scripture, um, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. And this is what we read out of verse 8. It says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. The King James Version uses the word fervent, to have a fervent love. The New Living Translation says to have a, a deep love. That's what we've been called to do, to love deeply. This is the fifth time that Peter lifts up love in his letter. The phrase, above all, reminds us of the prevalence of love as well. And this is, isn't some sentimental or emotional type of love. This is a deep earnest, fervent love. This is agape love that is unconditional, no matter what is happening around us, that we will love. The idea behind this is of a horse whose legs are fully extending while galloping. 
If you've ever watched a, a sprint, um, you know, if you, if you ever watch the track, um, and, and you see those men and women who are running and racing with everything that they have, and they have to break um, that line that's going across, whether it be still um, you know, a piece of, of string or rope or uh, a band or the electronic line. And, you know, it, it's the idea of expanding with everything they have and extending. And, and now that we have slow-mo, we get to see their faces and the, 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 the faces they make. But you know, they're, they're, they've got their chest all the way out and they're extending with everything they have because they want to beat that person in front of them. And, and some of them actually fall down at the end of the race because they're extending with everything that they have. That is the type of love that Peter is calling us to. A deep, fervent, extended love. No matter what we're getting back in return, that we are offering that love to anyone who comes near us. This intense kind of love, the the word that is used here for deep, fervent, earnest love, is the same word that is used Uh, Back in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before he is going to be taken, the night that he is taken captive and arrested, it's talking about the prayer that he was having. And that deep, fervent prayer, it was so stressful on him that his sweat became like blood. That is how deeply we have been called to love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 says that love bears all things. The word bear uh, is derived from a thatched roof covering a building. It has the idea of protecting. That, you know, as a roof protects those that are inside, so is that love. It's a deep love that is protecting. And it gives us Uh, the meaning of of verse uh, 8. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Now this is actually, Peter is quoting from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, that says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. You say hatred stirs up while love settles things down. It's protecting the offender from needless exposure. To truly love someone means not to hold or to nurse that grudge. Do you remember, if you go back to the Old Testament, um, Noah had built the ark with his sons. They have built the ark And now after building the ark, they gather all of the animals on the ark. And after the 40 days and 40 nights, they come out uh, of of the boat. And and after coming out, um, what's Noah do? He gets drunk. And as he gets drunk, um, he falls down stark naked, passed out. Now one of his sons, Ham, comes upon the situation and he sees his dad and he goes and tells everybody else. He's like, hey, come on, you got to go see my dad. He's naked. It's awesome. I'm adding my own commentary, okay? Um, But then Shem and Jephthah, it's what they do that brings us back to the point here. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 28, it says that they took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. They didn't want to look on it, 
And they didn't want anyone else to see it as well. Love covers sin the same way. And that is what we've been called to be able to see. That's what Peter is trying to be able to get us to see. One commentator put it this way. He says, when fervent love is found in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even larger ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding. When a person wrongs me, I can either take them hostage or I can set them free. I can broadcast my hurt or I can bury it. Listen, no church can survive if we bear and share every little sin with one another. As a church, if we want to not just survive, but thrive, we need to overcome the little differences that we have. Do you know that people leave church because of the way communion is served? Do you know that people leave church because the colors of the chairs? Do you know people leave church because of the color of carpet? People leave church because of the name. And and listen, these experiences are true across this nation. But what we need to do is come together and find ways to love one another, to overcome those small differences. And there's so many examples that that I could share of of things that have happened. I don't like the fact that the pastor doesn't tuck his shirt in when he preaches. Happens. His hair. I don't like the way that his children act. I don't like it. And people leave churches for all kinds of reasons. My grandparents left because I didn't tuck my shirt in. I mean, it's crazy. I'm teasing. She just yelled at me at home and I tucked it in the next week. It's all right. (laughs) Love covers a multitude of sins. No marriage will last if love isn't covering those small offenses. No workplace will last. No friendship will last. It's about understanding who Christ is and remembering that he forgave us our sins and he buried them. And he says, your sin is as far as the east is from the west. And we'll say things like, well, I'll forgive, but I don't forget. (laughs) We better because that's what Jesus did for us. We have been called to let it go. There are four promises we make when we extend forgiveness. Number one is that I will not dwell on this incident. We love to do that. When someone's hurt us, we'll just sit there and dwell on it over and over and over and over again. Forgiveness and love and grace says, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to walk away from it. Secondly, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. We store things, don't we? 
We have this little Rolodex in our mind that just reminds us of certain things that happen. Now, women have it. Guys don't. We try to remember and we can't. But women, I'm just teasing, but we all do that though, don't we? We all have that Rolodex in our mind that we just remember things. Well, I remember that time that you did this. That was 12 years ago. Well, I can bring up a recent one if you want me to. And and we can do that. And, And let it go. Quit holding on to those grudges. Quit holding on to those little things. And again, I'm talking workplace. I'm talking friendships. I'm talking church. And I'm talking marriages. Walk away and let those little things go. Don't bring it up. Don't hold it against each other. And I will not talk about it with others. When you say that you're going to let it go, you're not going to go share it with someone else. And I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. That's what we're doing. Listen, we don't have an option. We have been called to love. And we don't have a way out. We have been called to love. Verse 9 gives us a practical way to flesh out this fervent kind of love. Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. (laughs) We love to, oh, I'm going to open up my house and I'm going to share. I'm going to have hospitality and I'm going to have people come over to my house. But then when the kids go downstairs and they break something in the basement, then I'm going to grumble about it. And I'm going to, oh, I don't know if I want them to come back next week because they might mess something up. Well, I'm not going to let people come over to my house anymore because they're going to park in my yard and and they're going to leave ruts in there and they're still going to be there a year later. We think, and we hold on, again, we hold on to those things. But he says to have hospitality, to be generous to our guests open hearts lead to open homes a forgiving spirit leads to a friendly spirit i read an article this last week called uh, open roof hospitality the author wrote about the time that the paralytic man was lowered in by his uh four buddies for jesus now i want you to think we we think of that situation we're like oh man those four guys were awesome And those four guys, they did whatever it took to get their friend in front of Jesus. What about the owner of that home? We ever think about him for just a second? They cut a hole in his roof. How many of you would be like, oh yeah, cut a hole in my roof, knock my door down, come on in. We would be angry, right? Now we're told that probably, this was probably Peter's house. Now, we're not told in Scripture because it's no big deal to Peter, to Jesus, to anyone else of what actually took place. Mark doesn't bring it up after he writes about it. We don't know if those four friends went back and repaired that house or not. But what we do know is that grace and love and mercy were shown and that guy was healed because of the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been called to do and to hold on to. The author then asks some penetrating questions. She said, do I have an open roof policy in my home? Am I willing for my home to be filled, refashioned, and torn asunder so people can meet with Jesus? Am I willing for my carpet to be stained so the laughter of children can be the music of my home? 
And the article concludes with these words. At the heart of biblical hospitality is a humble willingness to serve others. Is your home a ministry or a museum? Is your home a place where it's not just a place for the family can hang out, but it is a tool for ministry? Do you know some of the greatest evangelism, some of the greatest life changes happen, not in a church building like this, but in your home, in your dorm room, in your apartment? Life changes happen. It's why almost all of our life groups happen in homes. It's why the Thursday night Bible study for the move group is meeting in Jared's house instead of just here in the church building. Most of the people that you're going to invite over, and I'm encouraging all of our life group leaders to invite people into their house, their friends, their family, their coworkers. I want them to invite their friends not to come just to church on Sunday mornings because more people are actually going to show up to a house than they're going to show up to a church building because they're afraid that when they walk in those doors, yeah, it's going to blow up. Lightning's going to strike the building. The walls are going to come caving in. My grandma used to say that all the time. She would walk into the church church building, and the moment she walked into the church building, she'd go, well, it's still standing. People get nervous and worried because of something that's going to happen, and, and it's a holy place. So they're going to be more apt to walk into your house and to be open and vulnerable in those situations and settings. Be hospitable. Open your doors. Without grumbling, it says. Number three, give generously. Give generously. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now this verse doesn't specifically talk about tithing and offering and giving, but it's a good example for you to be able to do so. Because he's talking about here of giving. And and I want you to know that you can securely give um, online through our website. You can go there and and you you can give um, each week individually if you would like. But we can set you up with an account on Realm. And you can set it up to reoccur however you would like to do that. But, you know, just one of those avenues that, that you can continue to give graciously. But as we unpack some of the principles that verse 10 is talking about here, we're just going to break it down um, kind of word by word. He starts off, as each has received. What this tells us is that everyone has a gift. Every single one of you in this room has a gift. Now, it doesn't mean that all of them are the same. But each one has a gift. And it's been given to you by God. Because it says, as each has received a gift. The word gift and grace actually come from the same root. You know what that tells us? It's not something to be earned. The gift that you have received has come spiritually from God. Supernaturally given to you. And you're like, oh, um, um, if you want me to get up on the stage, Travis, I, I can't do that. That's okay, that's not for everyone. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But there are many opportunities for you to be able 
to give of your gifts. Also remember that every member of the family has been called to serve. We've been called to serve one another. This is the third time that Peter uses the one another in this passage. And it's how we're linked to our brothers and sisters. We serve one another. We serve our family. And that's something that we have to understand. The spiritual gifts that you have been given isn't for your self-esteem to make you feel better. It's about serving the community and the family of God. And that we've been called as good stewards. We have been called to be faithful with our gifts. It's not something that we manage on our own. As a steward, we don't own anything. It's been given to us by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 lays out our responsibility. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. We're not the owner, we're just the managers of what has come our way. And this again reminds us that our gifts aren't equal and they're not the same because it says of, very, of God's varied grace. Every one of you has a different gift and you need to figure out what it is and you need to fi- find out how to use it for him. And you're like, I don't know how. I don't know what I'm called to do. Talk to me. Share with me. We've got a spiritual inventory um, It's called a test. It's not a test, I promise. You get to answer the questions on your own, and it helps you, if you're honest, of where you would best serve. And then we're going to help you expand that as well. And verse 11 kind of summarizes this wide spectrum of gifts into kind of two areas, the speaking gifts and then the serving gifts. The, the, The speaking gifts is teaching, preaching, and evangelism. Maybe you've been called into one of those areas. You've been called, as I I talked about earlier, to be one of the MOVE teachers. There's some of you here that could very well teach our 6th through 12th graders. And you don't want to give up your Thursday nights. We're asking for four Thursdays that you could teach out of the month or out of the year. Maybe that's something that you could do. I encourage you to talk to me, talk to Jared. We'll get you plugged in lead one of our life groups, helping in in teaching in the kids' area, whatever that might be. Serving gifts. This category is broad, and it includes encouraging and showing mercy or helping ministry. I love the way that I'm, I'm able to see, as I walk around on Sunday mornings, I see everyone serving in different ways. I show up to the the church, and I don't even know some of you are showing up to do things, and and someone's out weeding uh, in in the flower beds, or or someone's in the back getting ready to paint something, or, or you're mowing the grass. Listen, there are so many opportunities for you to serve. And again, we will help you find that avenue. You come to me and I'm going to say, hey, how about if we put you in the nursery? And you're like, I don't do well with infants. Then we're going to put you with the middle schoolers. And you're like, I don't do well with infants. And that's okay. <laughs> I, some of you have middle schoolers, don't you? Because you laughed at that. The first service, they didn't laugh. I still have a middle schooler. So for two more years, I'm allowed to use that joke. Um, but if you ha- we will find an area for you to serve in. Door greeters. We're always looking for door greeters. 
We're looking for people to come in here and, and just to mingle with people and make sure that our visitors find seats. We need people, hey, like today, this afternoon, we need someone to man the grill. That's an avenue for you to do. We need someone to help orchestrate all of the food that's lined up in there. We need people to help mow. We need people to work in the preschool and in the youth area, in the kids zone. We need all kinds of people. We need people that are still willing to help with the financial team, that are willing to help with the worship side of the house. We have so many avenues for you. And these gifts, they are to see God's kingdom continue to grow. And I love this next phrase by the strength that God supplies. That's important because there's several of you that go, I love doing Bible study, but I just don't think I could get in front of a group of teens and share with them. (laughs) You wouldn't be doing it by your own strength. Nothing that we do, we do by our own strength. You know, when I get up on this stage every single week, I'm still nervous. And the day that I stop being nervous will be the day that I stop preaching. Because I want to be reminded every Sunday that this is not my work, but it is God's work. It is His Holy Spirit that is speaking through me to you. Always be reminded of that. So if if you think, oh man, that sermon that Travis preached, it really spoke to me. He must be, he's, he knows something about my life. My spouse has told me something or told him something or he's been checking out my Facebook. Nope. It's the Holy Spirit speaking directly to you. And that's the important thing. Always remember that. God supplies all that we need. Now we've come to the end. and I love the way that Peter ends this with just a devoted doxology. How many of you remembered singing the doxology growing up? Yeah, we're not going to do that this morning. But you may remember that and what that looked like. And that's exactly what, how Peter ends what he's about to say. You see, our practice must lead to praise. Everything must culminate in worship. We're we're reminded that it's about God and not about us. Look at verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, we pray seriously. We love deeply and we give generously so that God may be glorified. Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As we look at this one last time, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That word glory It's the Hebrew word for heavy or or weighty. And what it reminds us is that God's glory, it's his inherent majesty, his weighty reputation. So my aim, your aim, is that God receives the glory. 
that we remember his reputation and that we live up to his reputation. Don't bring him down to ours. The word dominion declares that all things are under his sweet sovereignty, including all of those headlines. Remember, God, God's never surprised. God's never caught off guard. And everything that is happening and will happen in the future, don't let it scare you. Don't let it get you so caught off guard and so whacked out that you forget to pray and you forget who he is because he holds the dominion. He is sovereign forever and ever. It's the strongest possible way that we can say eternity. And he ends with amen. It means, so let it be. It's not a wish, but rather a strong seal of approval to what he has said. Peter says that we better be prepared because the end is near. So let it be. And that's what we have come to remember. As we grow in our faith, we will find that God is bigger. There's so many things that happen in this world that get us so caught off guard and so worried and so uh, upset. But at the end of the day, it comes down to who is Jesus to you? Is he some being that's just kind of up in heaven doing his own thing and he doesn't really worry about us? Or do you believe what I believe that he is the Lord, the son of the living God? He cares about each of us individually. Because I'm here to tell you that He loves you. And He cares for you. And He wants you in His life. And He wants to be in your life. And if you've never experienced that, if you have never had that freshness, that newness, that knowing that you are saved forever and for all of eternity, I want you to know that you can meet me in the back and we'll talk about what it means to give your life over to Him. For some of you, you just need prayer in your life because there's, there's all of these things that are going on and you're just not for sure what it means and, and how to control them. The best thing is to know that you can't control any of it, that He is in control. But you need prayer through that and, and how to work through that and how to get your life back where it's supposed to be. I want you to know that you can meet me in the back and we'll talk about what that means. Whatever decision you have to make, if, if you just need someone to talk to, someone to listen to, we would love to help you. I'm going to be in the back. My elders are going to be back with me. We'd love to help you on whatever path you need to make this morning. Please stand as we continue our worship.